Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. This week is another episode that I recorded at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. I was so excited to meet so many people, and I cannot wait until Anaheim next year. I also wanted to take a second to welcome all of the new members of Duke Tig FC. I'm super proud to know that Addie and Tiff are huge supporters of mine, and I actually sent them my first product idea today. If you ever want to check out any of their products, you can use the code KTGB for a great discount. Over the weekend, I had a chance to take two free United Soccer Coaches classes in Kansas City. I'll share a bit more about the classes in a few weeks, but the one diploma I wanted to talk about today was about talking about keeping girls in the game. So that was what we talked about for the last part of the day. It was a really good talk and we all learned some new things. Soccer Parenting Association is hosting Gratitude Week right now. I wanted to start off by thanking everyone that has helped me giving me ideas, or supporting me along the way. I also want to thank you, too, for listening. Each week, it is exciting to learn and know that others are also listening and learning from these podcasts. So without further ado, today's guest is John O'Sullivan. He is a friend of the Soccer Parenting Association. I'll get into the interview where we learn more about John's new book, Every Moment Matters, which I hope to read this spring. John is the founder of the Changing the Game Project, and lots of his work is about how to remember the how and why behind youth sports. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Today I'm talking to John O'Sullivan. John played collegiately at Fordham University. He was a member of the 1990 Patriot League Championship team. He has played professionally for the Williamton Hammerheads. He then went on to coach at the high school, college, and youth level at many places. He founded Changing the Game Project and now continues to do great things with the project. I'm really excited to learn more about Changing the Game and his experience and what he does. So, John, do you want to take a second and just fill in any gaps I might have missed? Um, You know, I have coached for so many years now, almost 30 years. Um, Like you said, every level from my kids when they were five to WPSL women's team to college and um, you know I love being at this event and I love the podcasting forum when you first reached out to me and told me what you were doing I was so excited to talk to you because I think it's awesome and I think that uh, our sport needs many voices but I think most importantly our our sport needs your voice because we don't do a really good job of listening to the kids who are playing (laughs) Uh, about what they want from the game. So the fact that you're out here doing this, that's the most important gap I want to fill in. In my podcast, Keep the Game Beautiful, I always ask the same three questions. So first, what does a beautiful game mean to you? I think that soccer is the most beautiful game because it is a game. It's a game for players. It's a game for thinkers. It's a game for people 
to solve problems on their own. You know, growing up in America, we have football where, you know, run three steps, turn around, the ball will be there. We have basketball, run this play. We have ice hockey, try to run this play. And soccer is this game where, you know what, you put players on the field and 45 minutes later you get to talk to them. And for 45 minutes, they have to solve the problems. They have to come up with solutions. And I think that makes it such a beautiful game because I think that's what human beings want to do. They want to be creative. They want to try things. They want to fail. They want to solve their problem. And um, I think the game becomes unbeautiful when it becomes too much about the coaches. And it's most beautiful when it's just about the kids. What are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? Uh, when I'm coaching, right, and right now I coach a bunch of 12-year-old boys, um, I think the most important thing we do is we, we play a lot. I think all those kids signed up. None of them signed up to stand in line, <laughs> right? Uh, they signed up to play. And so we just try to play a lot of games and practice, and we let the game teach people um, about you know, how to make decisions where, you know, was that the right decision, what I have to work on. So I think that's one of the biggest things. Number two, letting the kids own the experience, um, letting them, you know, hey, what do you guys want to do in practice today? Or what do you feel like we need to work on? What do you want this team to feel like when you come here? Things like that. Uh, I think that's what keeps it beautiful, right, when it's about, you know, who's in front of you. How do you encourage others to keep the game beautiful? <laughs> I travel around the world teaching them. <laughs> You know, I've written a couple of books now, and I I um, I really try to work hard uh, to just encourage people to be the coach that you always wish you had. Right? Most people can remember the, their favorite coach. Well, what was it about her, or what was it about him? They were passionate. They made it fun. They were fair. They communicated well. They knew what they were talking about. So we all have that coach in us, and sometimes pressure from parents or pressure to win takes it away. And so we really want, you know, to encourage people, you know, just be the coach you always wish you had, and your kids are probably going to like it. So before we get really far, can you just talk what Changing the Game is all about? Yeah, so we started Changing the Game in 2012, and I have a team of speakers, and we go around the world, and we work with schools and sports clubs and um you know, youth sports governing bodies to do parent education. So how can parents help their kids in sports to do coach education? So uh, how, how can uh, we teach our coaches uh, a little bit better and to do, you know, organizational development? So how can you run a better league or how can you run a better club um, so that it can be what we call not transactional? Hey, you pay us money, we give you soccer, but transformational. So we teach you about life. We, we make this something that is the best part of your day. Every day you're involved with it. That's what we try to do. Or we say our vision is, you know, put a little more play back in playing ball. So what's the five-word phrase every parent should tell their athlete after they play? Uh, I, I talked about this in my TED Talk, and it's simple, and I certainly didn't come up with it. Um, but it's, you know, I love watching you play, right? I love watching you play. I mean... When, when you're done, and you probably know this, right? You're tired, you're hungry, you're emotional. You're not ready to be coached. You're just ready to go eat lunch. Um, and so I think if parents can be really consistent about just saying, hey, I love watching you play, um, your kids will talk to you about the game when they're ready. How did I love watching you play become such an important phrase to you? 
probably because I had my own kids and I realized, you know, I looked at their faces when I didn't say that, when I decided that, hey, I want to coach or I want to help or I want to, you know, try to teach you something um, right in this moment in the car ride home. Um, and when you see your kids' faces fall because they feel like you're disappointed in them or um, that you're upset at them or that you're angry at them and that your happiness depends on how good they did in their soccer game, um, it breaks your heart, I think, as a parent. And so uh, when I started saying to my own kids, I love watching you play, I love going camping with you, I love going skiing with you, I love uh, the fact that you know you work hard and you're a good friend and, and you see their faces light up, I mean, I, I don't think you could possibly do that and feel like, oh, I'm doing the wrong thing here. So one of the things I really struggle with is hearing coaches or parents write an athlete, and it's one of the main reasons I started this podcast. You can really tell how much pain the, play, the player has, mm. the player is in. Mm -hmm. What can I do when I see this happening to a peer? Um, when, like, uh, you mean like when you hear play, coaches or parents yelling at them, yeah. like from the sideline? Mm -hmm. Ooh, well, that's hard. I mean, I think one of the things you can do as a teammate is is you know go over to that player and say hey it's okay come on we got your back I think the best teams are the teams that you know you don't make a mistake I don't make a mistake it's our mistake and, and, and we we own it as a team and we fix it as a team so I think supporting your teammates um, because you're probably not going to go over to their mom or dad and be like hey zip it right <laughs> hopefully the coach might um, and then I think, you know, as a player or as a team, especially, you know, the, you know when, when, once you're in middle school, once you're in high school, you have to learn to advocate for yourself. So if your coach is being really um, loud from the sidelines, micromanaging, you know, have the courage to go up to your coach and say, coach, you know, I, I love you and, you know, I know you're trying hard, but it's, it's really not helpful to me. When you're yelling at me when I'm dribbling the ball and telling me where to pass it, I just can't do it. You know what I mean? So I think things like that, um, players need to learn to advocate for themselves. They need to learn to ask for help when they need it. They need to learn to speak up when they don't understand something. And they need to, uh, you know, they need to, you know, own your experience as well. The more you own it, the more coaches and parents tend to take a step back and let you run with it. How could I respond to this as a referee or a peer coach? Well, I think referees, um, it's, it's really sad to me, um, the amount of abuse they take. I coached a young lady who's the same age as you. She just started refereeing this year, this fall. She was uh, refereeing a U10 game, and the coach on the other team was just abusing her. And she was crying, and after the game, her dad called me and said, this is ridiculous, right? <laughs> what, what is this coach thinking, yelling at a... Where else would we think it would be okay to scream at a 14-year-old girl um, because she missed a call? Or maybe she didn't even miss a call, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so I think, um, you know... I think, number one, we have to support referees. I think coaches have to speak up and um, you know, advocate. You know, you know, they have to model great behavior. Then they have to um, speak up to their parents that hey, we don't talk to referees. And then they have to um, you know talk to their players about that as well. 
And I've also seen uh, in hockey in Minnesota, they ran a tournament, and before every game, the referees called the crowd in, and they said, hey, my name is John. I'm a former U.S. Marine. I have three kids, age whatever, whatever, whatever. I've been refereeing hockey for 15 years. I'm going to make some mistakes today. Um, but my kids all played youth hockey too, and we're going to do the, our best to make this the best game possible. And so I think if referees can also make themselves more human, right? You're not yelling at some guy in a ye- yellow shirt. You're yelling at Anna's dad. Why are you yelling at Anna's dad, <laughs> right? And mm-hmm. I think that would be a, a good step forward too. So you think the coaches and parents that yell really know how the athlete or even referee feels? Do they see themselves in a mirror? No, you know, it's funny that you use that phrase. Um, I have a friend named Nicole Lavoie, and she runs the Tucker Center for Women in Sport in Minnesota. And she said to me once, um, she said, well, John, you know, parents are vampires. And I said, what does that mean? Because I don't watch Twilight and vampire movies. Do you? No. Oh, okay. Well, so I learned this from her. What happens, do you know what happens when a vampire looks in a mirror? No, I don't. They don't see their own reflection. And so that's what you said. People think that, oh, yeah, parents are the problem in sport. They're all crazy, but they never see it in themselves, right? They never see it in themselves yelling at referees. And so she said that to me. And it's funny because I go to... um, I go to sit on an airplane and people ask me what I do. And I said, oh, I go to schools and sports clubs and I help, you know, parents support their kids and mellow out a little bit. And, and everyone says, oh, my gosh, you have to come to my club. You have to come to my school because all the other parents are crazy. No one's ever said to me because I'm nuts. <laughs> so people don't see it in themselves. So I think we just have to put information out there. We can film them. We can have podcasts like this. And eventually we start shifting the culture. What should the parent role be? Uh, in terms of supporting their athletes? Yeah. You know, I think all kids need like three things to do well in sport, right? They need ownership. Um, so as a parent, we have to step back, right? We didn't score three goals today. My, my daughter scored three goals. So um, they got to own it. They have to enjoy it. So are you having fun? Are you enjoying this? And then, um, and then intrinsic motivation. So are they motivated to um, go out and practice on their own, to get better on their own? And so as a parent, if we can love watching our kids, give them the space to own it, make sure they enjoy it, and, and, and develop that intrinsic motivation, we, we've done our job, right? We, we're helping them find the thing they're passionate about um, instead of trying to determine it for them. So I see a lot of joystick coaching where the coach is just feeding the, player on, the players on the team just direct instructions. How impactful is this style of coaching? Well, it's very impactful if you... If your only concern is we want to win today, it's not very impactful if your goal is to teach my player to be good four years from now. Because what you're really doing is you're stealing, uh, you're stealing the reps from your kids. I, I talk about in my new book, um, don't steal the reps. So if you go to the weight room and on number eight, nine, and ten of your bench press, if you're really struggling and you can't hold the weight, if I come in and and take it off your shoulders and do it for you, you're not getting stronger, right? And I I think we have to start thinking about this joystick coaching or joystick parenting the same way. Um, 
if you if you are stealing the reps, if you're telling your kid where to pass it, when to shoot it, where to run, um, you're basically taking the the barbell from them and doing the sets for them. But if you let them struggle, if you let them uh, push through it and suffer a little bit, then that's where the learning happens, right? Learning happens on the edge of your comfort zone. So if you want your kids to learn, you got to be willing to let them struggle. Do you think there's some sports where joystick coaching is more common than others? Yeah, I mean, certainly basketball, certainly uh, American football. Um, I, I think, sadly, in some places in soccer it is as well. But uh, I think for the most part, um, for the most part, yeah, you know, uh, it's those sports. I think great soccer coaches are the ones who let the game belong to the players and practice is more coach-centric. Um, but because we live in America, where a lot of people's big sports are very coach-centric, when soccer comes along, they try to coach the same way, and it's not really conducive to learning. So as an athlete, I feel better and stronger about my performance when I make mistakes versus when I try to be perfect and do everything right. Would you say this is how most athletes feel? Well, I think most athletes... Uh, especially the great ones realize that you're going to make a lot of mistakes and that the only way to get better is to not be afraid to make them Um, when we're afraid or when we try to avoid mistakes when we play when we play not to lose um, we become tight we become tentative our body releases cortisol it's harder to breathe um, versus playing to win so for example, there's really interesting research in soccer where in World Cup penalty kick shootouts, if a kicker is taking the kick and that'll win the shootout for their team, um, they make 90% of those. But if I'm taking a kick and if I miss, we're going to lose the shootout, um, the kickers only make 60%. So that tense, that tentative, that outcome focus that I have to be perfect or else has a huge performance difference and and so it's been proven in many many sports um, and, and so again what we should be teaching our our our, our athletes is you know be outcome aware I want to win right but purpose driven process driven focused on the next play not the last one so yesterday I recorded a podcast that bombed after that was my dad told me that it's like when I play goalkeeper and a college coach is watching and people are okay with me making a mistake is this a type of lesson that you think sports can have in other areas of life for sure um I I think first of all uh one of my favorite quotes um is from the old president Teddy Roosevelt and it was the speech he gave called uh, the man in the arena but uh, you know let's just call it the person in the arena um, and, and he, you know, he says, you know, lots of people point out how the doer of deeds failed, but the credit belongs to the man in the arena who's, you know, bloody and sweaty and is not, a, you know, it, in the end, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Um, that's just one of my favorites, right? If you're going to put yourself out there and do something great in sports, in podcasting, whatever, you're going to fail. Um, and lots of people will love to be critics and point out how you messed up. Who cares? I can tell you this. When I was a college coach and I was looking at a goalkeeper, I know that goalkeeper is going to give up goals 
because if they're coming to my Division One school, they're going to give up goals. I want to know what they do after they make a mistake. Because when they make a mistake, if they fall apart, then you know what? That it's not going to work. But I want to see what happens after they make a mistake. Do they then make the next play? Does their mind move on? And if it does, that's the kind of kid I want on my team. And that's the kind of person I want in life. Are there other lessons and ways participating in sports can, be, can build a better people? I mean, I think there's so many, but especially if coaches are intentional. So I think a lot of t times people say sports develops character, um, but sports develops naturally one type of character, which we might call performance and character. So you sign up for soccer, or I know you like to wrestle, right? You learn to work hard, you learn resilience, you learn grit. That's performance character. But sport does not develop moral character, integrity, respect, sportsmanship, unless coaches intentionally teach it. So we need a generation of coaches who are not just running hard practices to quote develop character, but talking about integrity, talking about respect, um, not cheating to win games, not stealing the reps from their players, things like that. So I think um, it can be a, a great place to teach life lessons, but it can also sadly be a place to teach the wrong lessons if not done well. What advice would you have for someone that coaches their own child in a sport? <laughs> I, uh, I, I wrote a whole chapter in my new book about that because I think 80% of coaches end up coaching their own kid at one point. And, um, you know, big advice for me, uh, number one, is just you have two hats. You have a coaching hat and you have your mom or dad hat. And when practice ends, you have to put your mom or dad hat back on. For too many kids whose parents coach, practice never ends, the game never ends, right? And so they spend the whole ride home rehashing the game and continuing to be coached, and they just want to be a kid again, right? And so I think that's the biggest thing. Just just let, let the game end. Switch your hats. Just be mom. Just be dad. How can a parent switch their hat if they're having trouble? Well, I think sometimes, you know, one. so I have two kids. And my daughter loves, well, I think she loves when I coach her. She loves to, she's very good at taking advice from me. My son, not so much. So what I say to my assistant coach, when something's not going well or my son's not doing something, I'll say, hey, talk to TJ, tell him this, this, and this. And so he'll jump in and coach him. And my son will listen to him because that's his coach, not his dad. Right? So I think if you are a parent coach and your kid's not listening, turn it over to your assistant coach and, and let him or her coach your kid um, in that moment and you'll probably get better results. So I'm really lucky to have a city park right outside my back door. And my parents encouraged me and my brother to go play soccer in the, soccer in the backyard and the street too. Do you think most kids have access to a safe place to enjoy sports? Um, some places yes, some places sadly no. Um, I think, you know, we live in a country that's very scared about violence and things like that. Even though the, the numbers of violent crimes are down, the news coverage of them is way up. So we feel like 
around every corner there's not a safe place so you're very very lucky where I live we're very very lucky I can send my kids down to the local basketball hoop slash park and and do that and they can go and have a great time you know um I think the U.S. Soccer Foundation is really working hard right now to build lots of sports courts in inner city areas and things like that that are, um, you know, creating safer places to play. But in a lot of big cities, yeah, there's not a lot of safe places to play, and it's kind of sad. Do you think parents need to give kids more freedom to just play pickup soccer, or is there another answer? Well, I think the probably the happy medium is we'll have to have something someplace organized and safe but we have to start valuing free play um, I think a lot of parents don't value free play you know when I've run soccer clubs and I would do free play Fridays no one would show up if I ran a you know skill development Friday it'd be packed right and so people think that free play is a waste of time yet in this beautiful dynamic game of soccer free play is where you become creative problem solver self-organizer and so um, it's really important um, that uh, we as parents value it so our kids value it too so sometimes I see kids traveling all over the country. I think it was an AAU basketball that had a 6U tournament. 6U <laughs> national championship. I know club sports travel with travel and everything. It can be really expensive. It might not be it not be it might not be available where someone lives. Does concentrating too much on the high level of the game make it challenging for a sport? for a sport as a whole? Uh, definitely. I mean, I think, especially if we think of soccer, what do you need to play soccer? You need, to, like, a kind of flat space and a kind of round thing, and you can get a game going, right? And yet we make it that, oh, my God, your six-year-old has to have a $200 uniform, and we have to get all the six-year-olds together and, and go do this stuff. And, it, and it's crazy. Um, I have a friend, an author named David Epstein, and uh, he was living in Brooklyn, and he said, you know, right down the street from me, there was a seven-year-old travel soccer team. And he said, I, I find it really hard to believe that in a city of 10 million people, a group of seven-year-olds have to travel to go find a game. And this is the adults driving this stuff, which is um, not so good. You know, we need the kids to drive it, which, you know what? They want to play with their friends. They don't want to spend five hours in the car to play a one-hour game. Right? Play for five hours and spend one hour. And so this is, we have to kind of fix the math. Do you think there's a good age that that players can get involved with a higher level game? You know, I think it depends on, on the person. It depends on where you live, right? If you live in a big city, it's easier to get involved or stay uninvolved longer. If you live in a small place where maybe there's only one club, you kind of get forced to to follow what that one club is offering, you know what I mean? And so, um, but I think if it's, if it's driven by the player, then you can follow his or her lead. Um, if they want a little bit more, give them more. But you know what? It doesn't matter how much you want to play soccer or only want to play soccer. You still need what we would call a multi-movement experience. So whether that's playing other sports or whether that is doing gymnastics or parkour or yoga, um, strength and conditioning. You need to martial arts. You need to move your body in different ways to become an athlete or you'll never play at the high level because you get hurt too much. 
So my brother is a huge Liverpool fan, and <laughs> I hear a lot of Liverpool. Like, if you talk to him, he can tell you a bunch of the history, too, and it's kind of... But this week, there was an article in the These Football Times on how Klopp has incorporated psychology and mentality into his coaching. When I see Klopp coach, it seems like he really enjoys what he's doing. Is this an example of the type of coach changing the game wants to encourage? Yeah, definitely. And I don't know Jurgen Klopp, but what we... And I think we are always in danger of when we look at the, the quick snippet on the sideline on ESPN and say, that's how I'm going to coach. What, what do we miss? The 99% behind the scenes building relationships. And I think what everyone says about Jurgen Klopp is he's great at that. So people want to play for him. They want to work hard for him. They want to run for him. They want to, uh, and, and, and he's had success, so he's giving them something back. If you do this for me, I'll get you your recognition. I'll get you your notoriety. And so I think when we start looking around at the best coaches in the world and when we strip away the layers, what we see is coaches who are great people, managers. They're great at relationships. They're great at inspiring people. They're great at telling people the truth but loving them to death. Um, and by all indications, Jurgen Klopp is very much like that. So do you think someone, having someone like Klopp with such success will help grow awareness for, it, with, for this type of coaching? Definitely. And I think, you know, certainly in the U.S., we've seen this with maybe Pete Carroll or Sean McVay in football, uh, Steve Kerr in basketball, Brad Stevens. Uh, we're seeing these coaches who are really focused on relationships. Um, and in, in the soccer world, for sure, um, Pep Guardiola is very intense. But if you have had the privilege of watching him coach, he's very intense on an individual level. He gets around to every player. He, he, he makes them better. He connects, he, he tells each player, hey, I see you, I see you, I see you. Klopp does that. Alex Ferguson was very famous for doing that. So I think um, when we look at these managers, um, we have to notice that um, people who are focused on the psychology of their athlete and are focused on relentlessly connecting, uh, that's definitely the type of coach we want to help develop a Change the Game project. So sometimes coaches might earn their position because of their athletic ability. How important is it to look at their soft skills also? <laughs> well, I think soccer is really bad at promoting former great players into coaching roles without analyzing do they have these skills to coach. Um, and um, because, you know, just because you can swim doesn't mean you're qualified to be a lifeguard, right? Just because you had knee surgery, I don't want you doing knee surgery on me, right? Like, uh, you know, so we, there's much more of an awareness of the soft skills now, but it's still not being developed enough. Um, and I think once you coach long enough, if you have any sort of self-awareness, you start paying attention to it. Like, oh yeah, right? Like now they're connecting, now their eyes are shining, now they're locked in. Um, at the highest level of the game, you know, sometimes it's easier for a chairman to hire a former big name because it'll get the fans off his back, um, and uh, then the team blows up again. Uh, it's very scary to invest in a young connector and give that coach the time to do something well. What are some of the things you would look for, look at, 
look for in hiring a coach? Um, well, you know, it's a great question. One of the things that I always ask school athletic directors is um, what do you, you know, when's the last time you fired a coach for not knowing enough about a sport? And they're like, I never. I'm like, okay, great. So if you're never firing them because they don't know enough about soccer, then what are you firing them for? Treat people poorly, can't communicate, disorganized, um, you know, can't motivate a team, all these sort of things. Doesn't work well with others. So I would look at, well, if these are the reasons I always fire people, then I should be hiring people on, are you good at these things? And I think everything's a skill, so we can teach the soft skills, but I think it's easier to layer skills upon a good person than it is to take a super skillful, you know, a lot of technical ability who's a bad person and try to change their humanity. <laughs> so you recently released your book, Every Moment Matters. Is there a particular highlight or passage from the book for you? You know, a lot of people ask me that, and obviously the, the title of being aware of our influence, right, that every moment matters, that we never know if today's the moment where, um, you know, my, my, my player is ready to listen, is ready to learn, right, so I better be on my best. Um, but the favorite quote that I shared yesterday here at the convention in my talk was from uh, the wrestling coach Terry Steiner. He coaches the national women's wrestling team. And he said to me, what's the difference between an artist and a coach? And I said, you know, what? And he said, at the end of the day, the artist can throw his work out and start again, but the coach can't. And I think that's something that really resonates with me. Um, we don't get to throw that human being out and start again. So we, it's okay to mess up, but we better be good at tidying up as well. Was there a favorite part of the book for you to write? Ooh. Writing is not something that I love. <laughs> um, I wish I could dictate the book. Um, but um, there was definitely parts that were easier to write. And the way that I went about it this go around I didn't write the thing in order I wrote my favorite chapters first and when I was getting stuck I went back and wrote things that I was excited about writing so I was excited about writing chapters on how does it feel like to be coached I was excited to write about things like trust I was excited to write about um, having a methodology and understanding how people learn those things really excited me and so those were easier parts to write um, I'm trying to think what, what chapter I procrastinated on the longest. Um, I'm not quite sure what that was, but there was definitely some that I'm like, oh, I don't look forward to writing this chapter. <laughs> if someone realizes they are on the wrong side of the things and they don't follow the changing the game philosophies, what is one easy thing they can try to start doing when they're ready for a change? Mm, that's a great question. Um, first of all, we, I don't claim that we have all the answers or that we are the only way, right? Um, there's lots of ways out there to go about things, to, to do things. 
But what I do encourage people to have is if you have a way, if you have a methodology, if you have a way that you're coaching and teaching and leading your people, um, base it on evidence, right? Base it on something solid, not just like, oh, well, that's how I was coached, so that's how I'm going to coach these six-year-olds. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing. And, and what I always encourage people is, look, if you read this book, the idea is not that you throw out everything you've ever done and start from scratch. It's like find 10%, right? What's one thing that you can add to your toolbox that'll make your practices better, that'll make your communication better? And if you add something to your toolbox and it makes your practice better and it works, then in a couple weeks add something else. I think that's the... I think that's my biggest takeaway, right? We should, the best coaches are always learning. They're always curious. They're always saying, what else is out there? What can I add to make what I do even better? And I think it's the mid-level coaches are the ones who get stuck and say, I know it all. I have nothing left to learn. So we've made it to our final question. Woo! What do you hope people remember about your impact to soccer and the world? Hmm. You know... It was funny, I, I, I've i asked a similar question at the end of my podcast to people, and, you know, well, what do you want your legacy to be, what do you want to be remembered for? Um, and uh, I asked to Steve Kerr, the Golden State Warriors coach, and he said, you know what, he said, I, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me because um, my legacy is what other people think of me, right, but what's more important is what I know of myself and so can I go to bed and sleep at night knowing that I did well so I hope that people think that I was someone who loved the game that I was someone who advocated and gave a voice to kids um, who maybe didn't have enough of a voice and um, that maybe started shifting the, the paradigm in, in coaching and parenting so that um, so many kids don't walk away from sports thinking, well, that sucked. Um, I want them to love it as much as I did. I want it to impact their lives as much as sports and some coaches impacted my life. And so hopefully, if I can make a difference for a few families or for a few kids, then that would be great. Thank you so much. Oh, and thank you for what you're doing. This is awesome. John gave me a lot of great information, and I could really tell that he is passionate about helping youth enjoy whatever sport it is they love. In addition to changing the game, there are other similar organizations that share some of the same beliefs. John O'Sullivan also has other podcast episodes that he has recorded in a great TED Talk. I know, too, he's happy if guests reach out to him on social media. Thank you for joining today's episode. I hope you learned something, and until next week, remember to keep the game beautiful. Mm -hmm.